0: Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we talk about all of it, about pregnancy, motherhood, fatherhood, health care, culture, politics, sociology, money, all the things that make us the parents we are. It is coming up on Father's Day weekend. It is the last day of school and we're all desperate for some summer around here it's been a long year and uh, i don't know about you but if you've got kids in school it's going to be great to just you know not do the everyday hustle of getting kids around now of course i am in a really fortunate position that um, my youngest child is now going into her senior year of high school you know, it's not like I have to find daycare for her, but still, you understand how it is. Your day gets into a rhythm, and then when summer vacation comes, it relaxes a little bit. and We're ready for it. It's still pouring down rain here in Portland, which, you know, if you've listened to my podcast before, I whine about quite a bit. But um, it's been a long, dark, drizzly winter here in the Pacific Northwest, and we are ready for our sunshine and that's coming. That's right around the corner. Um, anyways, that's the news from around here. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the men out there who are celebrating either as a dad or with a dad. It's a day that I am all for celebrating in a big way because fatherhood is a big job and it's a confusing one. You know, like motherhood, we're all just trying to figure it out as we go along and do the best we can. I think that a lot of the job of parenthood is it's universal. It's the same all over the world and has been throughout history. The goal is to raise a child who can live independently, at least to some extent, depending on circumstances, and be able to create a life of his or her own choosing. And a lot goes into that physical care, like food, shelter, and health care, emotional care, love and affection, spiritual guidance, education, and the critical job of teaching children how to live their life at this time in history, in this culture, with these people in this community. What you teach them could be the difference between their success and fulfillment as adults, And their failure, you know, it could be the difference between your child feeling confident and feeling squashed or feeling safe or feeling threatened. No pressure, right? Like I said, it's a big job and I'm all about celebrating it at every opportunity that you can. I want to send a great big shout out to the dads in my life. First and foremost, my husband and the dad of all our children. Nobody could do that job better, and I'm going to invite all of you listeners to listen back to last year's Father's Day episode, to hear his wise and sage advice from an older dad to the brand new ones. Now, I want to get to this week's guest, because we are due for a good, long conversation. A couple weeks ago, I met a young man, Marquis Robinson, at a conference that I was attending. And we got to talking about the things we have in common and the stuff that makes us different. He told me he has a little girl and a son on the way. And then we started talking about what it's like for him as a black man in America, as a father, as a humanitarian, as someone who faces and breaks stereotypes every single day. And Marquis had some important things to say about fatherhood. So, of course, I invited him to come on the podcast and share his perspective. Let's get Marquis on the line. Yeah, hi, Marquis, how are you? Hi,
1: Miss Faulkner, how are you?
0: I'm good, you can call me Jeannie. You'd be how my you? o- only guest to ever call me by my last name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get a pass.
0: <laughs> you get a pass, you do. But you're, you're a Southern gentleman. You guys are very polite.
1: Yes nothing, uh, like, nothing like the Southern hospitality,
0: oh yeah, and manners it's really remarkable, and i'm from the I'm from the West Coast, so we're really casual, yes. and it's whenever I'm in Georgia, I notice it, and I just love it <laughs> mm-hmm. so Marquis, what i wanna do um is I wanted to just you know tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, and then we'll just get going. Does that sound good um yes. Okay, and I want to make sure that I'm saying your first name correctly, so you say it first.
1: Marquis.
0: Yeah, I did say it correctly.
1: Like the Grand Marquis.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Marquis Robinson works for Care USA, and his job is to make sure supplies get to some of the poorest countries on earth, and that colleagues get their supplies and packages. Um. You're working on a master's degree in supply chain management you're a father husband provider mentor soldier of life survivor optimistic and a lover of life i love that description doesn't so that sound it, good it does so my first question <laughs> then for you Marky, is this who are you and what do you do who am i
1: i'm mm. a I'm a young black African American mm-hmm. that comes from the struggle of a single parent household, and I have to find my way through life by gaining my own knowledge and using that knowledge to escape. I, I guess you I guess I could I, I guess I could say escape some of life issues to make me a better person.
0: Mm-hmm. That's who I am. okay. I do believe that people are the sum of their experiences. And whoever you meet today is going to be a little bit different than you, meet the person you meet tomorrow. But it's definitely, you know, you, you are who you are because of the life that you've lived.
1: Yes, yes. That's yeah. true.
0: Yeah. So you and I met um, recently at a care conference. And I think that you and I were talking a little bit about... I think we were talking about you know kind of why it's important to put your own personal mission into your work. Do you remember what you said about it?
1: Um, yes, What'd I stated that I stated that basically that um, I've discovered my own voice, and discovering your own voice, you have a chance to change other people's lives, yeah, but we don't know, but we don't know who lives we are gonna change in the process because um the 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 fight is every day.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I may I may come across someone who's gonna who who's who has a possibility of changing my life that, yeah. that that's found their voice. Because no one is gonna find our voice for us. Yeah. We have to do it ourselves. And what we do with it is Whatever we whatever we do with our voice mm-hmm. is is whatever we is whatever we get out into the universe from yeah. the universe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: we also have to be careful with our voice.
0: Boy, that's true, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I I I think I want to describe a little bit more about the work that you do because some of my listeners um, aren't familiar with care and words like supply chain management could mean anything. Yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your work. And the reason I'm asking you about this is because I want to go back to what you said about um, bringing your personal mission to your job and about using your personal voice. Because I really do believe that in every walk of life, in every interaction that we have, whether it's with our career or whether it's with somebody we meet on the street or, you know, the checkout person at the grocery store, we have these opportunities to bring our full selves to the moment. And I really I really felt like you, you talked, you spoke so articulately about that. So tell right. me more about, about you and your work.
1: Me and my work. Okay. So, you know, uh, we have countries, third world. Third world countries that's basically in rubbles, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Some people mm-hmm. can't access these countries, especially when there's uh, there's natural disasters like tsunamis and earthquakes, like the earthquake, like the earthquake in Haiti and the tsunami, and um, what's the country?
0: In uh, Indonesia and uh, in, in the yeah. yeah, yeah, and in, oh, that was a disaster.
1: So we so we were able to reach that country because we have such a presence and we have great donors. We were able to fly in supplies, fly in colleagues, uh, emergency kits, tarps, food, um, whatever you could think of. We were able to help that country,
0: and that's your job: getting the actual things from the warehouses to the people in humanitarian settings that need them is that right
1: exactly it's just like uh 16 will have gone across cr- uh, cross country mm-hmm. to deliver their goods to atlanta
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we did it by plane we do it by plane so mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing
0: it's a little different it's a little different because yes. you are flying those supplies into places where maybe the tarmac's been destroyed or maybe there's a huge conflict and that plane's going to get shot at or Everything. i mean it's a it's Everything. a little different yeah
1: it's a lot, it's a lot of variables yeah it's a lot of variables
0: yeah so what's it like are you in an office or are you I'm in an yeah.
1: office i'm in atlanta uh-huh. i'm in the mid- midtown the uh, far eastern midtown of atlanta but so see, the, thing, the funny thing about this, no one knows we're there. Yeah. No one. Even some of our donors doesn't know that we are, we are literally, literally dead center in the city. Hmm. It's funny. Okay. Now we have a big orange building with a hmm. CARE logo on top, and it's beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they ought to know now.
1: <laughs> they ought to know now, especially uh, looking from the 50th floor. You have no choice but to see it from another building.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's prominent. Care has a big presence.
1: Yes, we do. Yeah. We do. We, um uh, projects right now is, in Africa is 19 million, in Europe is 30,000, and uh, Asia is 45 million.
0: That's a lot. That's a lot of people that are being impacted. Do you ever think about, you know, like, I don't know, a shipment? A shipment of what? Like, give me an example. Of, of of a shipment that that you would have been responsible for having delivered recently was it well, food was, or go ahead
1: actually i was responsible for for tarps like uh-huh. tent like tarps for uh-huh. uh for for nepal they
0: after the earthquake a, there
1: a, yes, yes, they needed um places um for survivors to you know to um to live in
0: yeah
1: to get accustomed to because they lost everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I had to get those tarps there. Oh, I'd probably be out of a job. Yeah. So you see how serious this is.
0: I do, yeah. And actually, you know, at the time that the Nepal earthquake happened, I was working with another humanitarian organization called Every Mother Counts, and they were working um, with other organizations in Nepal that were receiving those tarps and tents and emergency supplies and... You know, setting up emergency uh, medical facilities and housing for people that were living in the streets, and it's just—it's there's this network of people that are all doing the right thing and making sure that it happens. And you're one of them. Yes, I'm one of them. Yeah. And
1: I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm excited to say that.
0: Yeah, you're a lucky man. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say that I'm lucky. I, I I just happen to be at the right place at the
0: right time, I guess. Isn't that luck? What do you call it if that's not luck?
1: I, I call it, uh, on my end, I call it divine intervention.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Divine okay. All right. Because
1: uh, I feel like um, the universe uh, interfered with plans that I had set aside for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember those plans at this present (laughs) moment. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But Divine Intervention allowed me to some way somehow, you remember I told you during our interview I was just sitting at home one day Mm -hmm. and this this third party staffing agency called me out the blue and I was at care. So I I'm 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 assuming that it is based off luck, but majority of it is divine intervention uh, that placed me in a situation that was healthy, um, more more stability, mm-hmm. stability um, on a mental scale, and mm-hmm. that allowed me to flourish in my career.
0: Yeah, and you've been so, there a while now, haven't you?
1: Uh, this year will be seven years.
0: That's a lot of good work.
1: It be seven years.
0: Yeah. Did you imagine this would be your career? Did you ever think about? I mean, is this what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Um, no, this is not what I wanted to be.
0: What Would you not want it? to be?
1: Not at all. Well, actually, uh, a more thorough and dark background. But before I came to care, and before I got laid off at Grady, you know, I was uh, what they called um, a street runner. You know, I was. I was in the streets. Doing what? You know, doing doing dirt. Doing stuff I wasn't uh-huh. supposed to be
0: doing. Uh-huh.
1: And I made a, mm-hmm. a lot of money.
0: Uh-huh. I uh, think I'm getting your gist.
1: But however, the buy intervention happened. Um, I beat a 10-year bid. I I, I beat a, a, a 10-year pr- prison sentence. Mm-hmm. And so you did
0: not go. I did you not, did not go. go to
1: prison. I did not go to prison, but I was on probation for like five years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I couldn't do absolutely nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when my probation was up, and I was in, I was deep in debt, and stuff was piling up, and you know, I I, I was breakable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, mm-hmm. I I became breakable, and you know, something turned everything around. I'm pretty sure that, you know, people don't believe in God and some you have some atheists out there and you you have some people that that's that's neutral on it. But as a firm believer, you know, um, I weathered the storm. I didn't weather yeah. the storm by myself, but something allowed me to weather the storm. And I felt like care allowed me to weather the storm during that time period.
0: Wow. I like the way that you described it, that you were breakable. You know, I think about, um, I think it's Leonard Cohen, the songwriter, who wrote that it's the places that are broken where the light shines through or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a true believer myself. And I think that, you know, I think that if we're paying attention, we often find the the divine intervention. There's the little breadcrumbs in our life that tell us which way to go. Yes. Not everybody's paying attention though. Or they're looking at other things.
1: Right. Way but different. It's there. It's there. It's there. Yeah. The intuition is there.
0: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. in the gut. You just have to listen. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. some of us, we don't know how to transition to that listening stage in terms of listening to our, our gut and, and our yeah. true intentions. Is I mean, it's it's it's, it's like learning to listen, L- listen to another human, or listen yeah. to your husband or your wife. When your wife say you, you know, never listen, or your husband said, "Honey, you never listen." Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a it's something you have to learn. So, so how yes, did you learn? I, was, I my disobedience was deep, and um, going to church, or trying to go to church, and just. By the way, I still don't know the Bible. I'm trying to Mm -hmm. learn it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But just listening to him um, in my gut saying, speaking to me, hey, this is what you need to do to turn this situation around, or this Mm -hmm. is what you need to do to become more obedient and start listening to what I'm trying to portray to you. Mm. Even though you can't see me physically, I'm, I'm in your soul. I'm in your spirit. Mm-hmm. So, here are the routes that you need to take to figure it out. I'm going to. I'm going to unlock the door for you, but I need you to open it.
0: Huh. I often think about this same thing, sort of from the perspective of surrender rather than obedience. Sort of, but I think it might be two sides of the same coin. Right. Like. Um, you know, surrendering to whatever it is that is meant to be the best in a situation rather than hanging on to a specific outcome. Right. You know, I'm going to be thinking about it, though, in terms of obedience. And it may just be that you and I have different images in mind for what our God power is. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
1: I don't know. Maybe that's because we've been to, we, we have been through different events we're we're really different different. we're we're different and our our backgrounds how we how we uh, grew up Mm -hmm. um, our households our community we're from two totally different backgrounds
0: yeah yeah very different
1: very different
0: and so i but i do kind of feel like we're talking about the same thing you know we're just talking about it differently
1: yes we are we are yeah different terms Yeah.
0: yeah yeah So tell me about your family and about your daughter.
1: Um, my my daughter's a little wizard.
0: <laughs> a little wizard?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, she's four years old. Yeah. Uh, she she started talking when she was one.
0: Oh, good! I love it when babies can tell you about their world.
1: Full blown sentences.
0: <laughs> What'd she say first? Do you remember?
1: Can't remember, but uh, she was walking and she started talking, out the blue. Mm. Mm. Maybe because she was a, br- a breastfed baby.
0: Could be. Maybe because she had some things to say in the world and she knew she needed the extra years to practice.
1: Yes, yes. Hopefully uh, I will be able to have her um, to be Secretary of State one day or maybe even meet you one day.
0: That sounds good to me. (laughs) There's nothing better in life than a four-year-old girl. Uh Although I got to tell you, and I've probably said this on a few of my podcasts now. I think four-year-olds are hard to raise. I think three is easy, five is easy, four is my worst year. Mm-hmm. They're hard. Do you think they're hard? Um, I don't think that they're hard. I just think they're misunderstood. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I always oh my misunderstood them.
1: <laughs> well, mine was talking at one, so we had, we had conversations, so... Mm-hmm. We had open dialogue, so I was able mm-hmm. to I was able to have that open dialogue with her because she knew she understood somewhat understood she did she didn't mm-hmm. understand the world from a from a full view,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but she someone she somewhat got it.
0: Mm-hmm. I I don't understand, I, <laughs> so don't ask. <laughs> I won't. Yeah, uh, but she. She was just born with a knowing. She was just born
1: with the knowing. Uh, mm-hmm. Her teacher stated the other day, she was like, the other kids, they just don't get it. Even though they're a four years old, they just don't get it. But Marley, somehow, we don't know, but she gets it. Hmm. This is coming from the director uh, mm-hmm. a couple days ago. She mm-hmm. was like, she just gets it. You talk to her, you you ask her something, and she gets it. I was like, well, that that comes from um, me being ingrained in common sense. I mm-hmm. was a- I'm, I'm able to pass along uh, my many common sense measures along to her.
0: Mhm, mhm, good.
1: So she she's gonna acquire the common sense. And you can have yeah. all the books bu- book sense in the world, but you don't have no common sense. Sometimes you're not able to adapt or survive.
0: I couldn't agree with you more in fact you know it's the name of my book and my podcast <laughs> common uh, sense right there's yeah no,
1: there's not a manual you can't no. go to when, a, when something happens you can't go to a manual yeah you go to your common sense
0: but don't you wish you could uh, I sw- no i do no, no, I, I don't i don't no no i don't i don't i do i wish that there was I mean, I know there's a million books out there and I've written a few of them myself, but I kind of wish that there was just, I don't know, not a rule book, but a guidebook that says, this is the way to do that confusing thing that you need to do with your kid. Or, you know, like a cheat, like you can just cheat once in a while and go to the back of the book and look up the right answers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's called cheating.
0: Uh-huh. I know. I know. I but. cheat
1: a little <laughs> <laughs> uh, As far as family, um, I'm from a country family. I'm
0: mm-hmm. from,
1: uh, my family, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. My family is from Augusta, Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. We have that Southern hospitality that, that, uh, that, 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 that sweet uh, personality, mm-hmm. that, that, that peachy smile. Mm. We the type of family that embrace everyone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We embrace everyone.
0: Mm.
1: Any, any, anybody that could come to my aunt's house, have a decent meal, sit down, and you would not be judged. White, black, pink, Indian, Chinese. <laughs> it's funny.
0: welcome there.
1: It, it's funny. It's You're welcome. welcome. You're welcome.
0: Yeah. So how did? So how does that? I mean, we started our conversation. You were talking about, you know, you grew up. If, in a pretty challenging background. So what role did your, fam- did your, your aunt and you know, your family play, I guess, in your survival and in your upbringing?
1: Well, let me tell you, um, um, I'm, uh, my mom was a single mother. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just me and her at first.
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: brother came along later in life. My brother came along in 91. Mm. So he didn't experience what i experienced um you
0: got the young mom you got the younger mom
1: i had, I had the younger mom i had the younger mm-hmm. mom she was still in the streets um, mm-hmm. uh you know she would leave me sometimes and now that i look back on it, i, I got some mommy issues like some women have daddy issues or, uh-huh. some, or some some men have daddy issues i just found out i had some mommy issues
0: about being left behind uh, you know being left being alone.
1: being left alone and you know i had to feed myself and uh, you know she, she would bring food home or whatnot, but we we struggled really badly in the poorest mm-hmm. condition. I remember um, laying down, going to sleep in rundown homes. We only had one good home when it was just me and her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It had a wraparound porch. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, I just grew up in the poorest condition. Yeah yeah <laughs> and um you know my mama ran numbers and uh she gambled
0: mm-hmm.
1: so i I picked up some of I guess I picked up some of her some of her habits when it comes to like gambling and stuff but I always want to gamble gamble for money mm-hmm. if it's a game I always want to put you know um, money has to be involved or whatnot but mm-hmm. <laughs> It can never be for fun. But now, as I gotten older, you know, I just learned to, you know, to play games for fun. But sure, um, I lived in, I didn't, I, I never lived lived in the most extreme conditions. Like for instance, like the uh, people in Syria, I've never mm-hmm. lived in those type of conditions before. So I, I never understand what they're going through. I'd never be able to understand what they're going through. <clears throat> like in terms of him, bombings all night, but I heard shootings all night. <laughs> you know, I even, yeah at the age of uh, maybe like five or six, I seen my first decomposed. You get where I'm going.
0: I do. You've seen some things that are I, really I've hard. seen some
1: things. And it was pitch yeah. black at night. We was playing basketball, and we just stumbled upon him, and that was my... uh. My family's neighbor's son.
0: Wow,
1: you know, and he was mutilated. You know, mm-hmm. so I've seen things, and I've run across things at a very young age, and it brought me to this point where I'm very thankful for. Um, I'm very thankful for um, getting rid or exterminating my past life.
0: Do you think you exterminated it or did you just bring it with you? And you now know, you are this person.
1: Well, I'm 32 right now, and I, yeah. it's, it's been, you know, I had to call Terminex. Mm.
0: Hmm.
1: So, so, yes, Terminates did his job Exterminates okay. things out of my life.
0: So okay.
1: now I have a family. I have a mm. a, a newborn that's doing October. <clears throat> mm. I'm a and proud and that's
0: a son, right? That's a son. Sp-
1: his name is yeah. Quali.
0: Quali king, king Robinson. Mm, that's a really it, good
1: name. Because my fiancee's last name is King, mm-hmm. my last name is Robinson. So we were like, "Well, we already have a first name. Mm-hmm. We could use King as his middle name, since we're gonna be King Robinson when we get married." So we decided, "Why not Quali King Robinson?"
0: I love that name. <laughs> and your your daughter is Marley, so it's about, Marley and Quali.
1: Yes, yeah, Marley and Quali. My stepdaughter is the mining king.
0: Oh, you've got a good collection there. Have you practiced calling these out the back door? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't practiced. But <laughs> well, you've got a few months before you. I, I have yeah. a few months. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about. You know, I really, I really want to talk about some of the things that are really similar for all parents who are, you know, expecting a second child, raising a boy as compared to a a girl. Um, but I also think that, you know, we have an opportunity to talk about some things that are ve- are not the same. So first of all, I kind of want to know what your expectations are for raising a boy as opposed to raising your daughter.
1: Well, I think a daughter is um, more I think with a daughter you have to be more hands on if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you're raising a young lady. <clears throat> I mean, your presence
0: mm-hmm.
1: has to be there simply because um, uh, first of all, you don't want to become that absent black father in your daughter's life
0: or your mm-hmm. son's
1: life. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, like deadbeat or trifling or absent.
0: You so want to be present.
1: I, yeah, I, I wanna be present. I've been present. I, I was present during the delivery room all the way up until now. She's four. Mm-hmm. And we have a great co parent relationship. I mm-hmm. I feel like on um if when you have a girl, you have to teach her things that a woman can't. When it, like especially when it comes to guys, males.
0: Ah, okay. I see what you're talking about. Uh, so as she's as she's getting older and she's getting you know to an age where she needs to learn about how to handle men, you're talking about different things like that?
1: Yes, exactly. A, a woman can't teach a young woman about men. They can teach uh, a young woman about their experiences with men. Mm-hmm but in, st- in terms of the, the, the mental standpoint, the mental psychology of a man, a mm-hmm. woman, woman can a woman can't teach that.
0: I agree with you. I think that, that I think that women um will teach their daughters and I know I do. I've got several daughters. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of coping techniques, right. safety strategies, how to keep yourself safe, those right. kinds of things. Right. Um and of course can share my experiences with what it's been like to live this many years in a world of men. But, yeah, I'm still, you know, even at my age, quite surprised sometimes by how differently men and women think about the world. Right. So what's going to be different for your son? What's going to be the same and what's going to be different? Well,
1: from a boy standpoint... Yeah. I would say the tips of raising a good man would be giving him a hand at managing his own emotions. Mm. The strong, silent, and macho tough guy may be appealing on the big mm-hmm. screen, but in real life the guys, the good guys are the ones who know how to deal with their feelings the right way.
0: Yeah,
1: And the, the, the second tip, I would say um, teach them at a young age to find solutions. Getting them to understand that bad feelings may linger.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, when those bad feelings linger, it could lead them to do things that involve stupidity.
0: Impulsive things that is that are going to get him in trouble.
1: Impulsive things that's going to get him in trouble. For instance, we all we know the, the past couple years, the past few years, um, the strike on young black African Americans in yeah. the streets of America has been real and broadcast.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they treat us like animals. That, yeah. The reason being the reason being um, young man in, in our generation that the reason these situations is happening is because of the 71% of black households are separated.
0: Separated in what way? Are you talking about in terms of in terms um, of, mar- marital status? In, terms of, in terms
1: of marital status and the woman uh. raising, raising the boy and the dad is nowhere to be found. Hmm. Or he's the dad is in this life, but only teach them certain things. Mm. Mm. They may teach them, they probably teach them the wrong things, running the streets with them, um, mm-hmm. teaching him <coughs> if the son is with their dad and he watches dad call a woman a hoe mm. or a bitch or something along those lines, and he mm-hmm. ends up picking, picking these things
0: up. Mm-hmm
1: you get what I'm saying?
0: I do get what you're saying. You know, I've I've had the chance to talk with <clears throat> many African-American mothers about, you know, what's similar and what's entirely different about raising boys in America. And we can totally relate about some of the challenges, like, you know, boys aren't really built to sit still in school and learn the way girls sometimes find easier, and that gets them in trouble. Mm-hmm. And we can relate that, you know, teenage boys can just be stupid and they can be a lot of trouble and they smell bad and they behave impulsively, <laughs> and, you know, generally they turn out just fine given enough time and guidance. Some. But some, some. But well, yeah, but well, you know, as the mother of a young adult white man, I would worry about his teenage self, you know, and his, his safety. But I had nothing on the kind of worry that most African-American parents have. You don't. Because you don't. No, don't. we don't. At all. Not at all. I hate to say this, but you guys don't know what we go through. No, we don't. I mean, I, I think that maybe simply due to the fact that I'm a woman, I get a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like to live life through a prism. But I don't understand what it's like to be an, a black person in America. And I don't know what it's like to let your son out the door when you're raising a black son in America. Yeah, because I don't. It's too scary. It's too scary. You come to the sh- Atlanta,
1: uh-huh. the streets of Atlanta. Uh-huh. Everyone think it's uh, because Paramount is here now and Jim Studios is here now and we have our little rodeo drive now but the thing is we practice all this glamour and peaches and cream about Atlanta where in some places in Atlanta you can't really walk down the street yeah you can't visit you you can't you can't be there during certain hours of the day Atlanta is bad okay well, let me bad. let
0: me challenge and let me know what,
1: this you know question. You Jenny? It's it's, it's no. going to be hard for me to raise a, a son in Atlanta. Like I'm going to have to fight every day.
0: Yeah.
1: Because so let me Because, Go ahead. because the streets of Atlanta is so um it, it it's so it's so easy to get in. It's so easy to get into situations here it's too hmm. easy hmm. and the peer pressure is is thick
0: do you think that's atlanta or do you think that's i mean is that los angeles is that new york is that portland oregon where i live
1: it's definitely not portland oregon
0: I, we had you know a, yeah, a I'm racist pretty, white I'm, guy I'm,
1: guy. I'm pretty sure i right. can walk down the street at eight o'clock in portland
0: well I think that Portland is way more racist than anybody ever thought it was. I mean, no. you heard about on, on the news where the guy, um, the racist white guy killed two people on our train. It was just a mile from my home because he was ranting and raving at two black teenage girls. I, I, and these other guys stood up to them and they, the guys who stood up to him got their necks cut and they died.
1: I, did, I, and, didn't know I haven't heard about this. You see you see what I'm saying? It's, it's hard for a, a young
0: Black American. So let me challenge a question on this. All right. And I'm asking this because I really want to understand something. Okay. So you're talking about you can't walk on the streets in Atlanta because you're a Black man. I mean, I can now because I'm in my 50s and I'm relatively safe. But mm-hmm. as a younger woman... I couldn't walk the streets of Atlanta safely either. I mean, I, it's not necessarily Atlanta.
1: It's Chicago. We,
0: it's everywhere. Women aren't women, safe either.
1: Well, yeah, women. Women is never safe because never uh, safe. Men feel like they can take advantage of a woman, right? So and they can. A, a woman yeah. always going to be vulnerable, right? <clears throat> always. So
0: what? So tell me what's different here. See that this is me seeing it through this perspective, but I'm not getting the full picture. So tell me more.
1: So, um, the reason I say that is because uh, the the black the black man in, in our neighborhoods in Atlanta we have no direction. All we know is to uh is to is is to rob, is to murder somebody with some money. Um, I I was once connected to these things so i had to pull my way myself away from it but i still have friends that still engage well they're not friends let me not say friends that still mm-hmm. engage in the activity mm-hmm. <clears throat> and some parts where they're located some 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 of my friends want they won't allow you into that into that neighborhood
0: They won't allow you into their neighborhood?
1: They won't. They feel like they control the neighborhood, the drug flow, Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: whatever that goes on in that neighborhood.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I have some some friend that is driving. I was telling my fiance this. I have some friends. All right, let me disassociate myself. I have some past friends that's driving like $200,000 cars and $400,000 cars. And it's Mm -hmm. like, where do you get this money from? I mean, it's, it's from killing and drugs. Wow.
0: So, this is the world that you're going to be raising your son in.
1: This is the world but- I'm going to be raising my son in. However, this is the suburbs of Atlanta. Outside mm-hmm. of 285, it's pretty decent. My, where, where me and my fiance stay right now in Marietta,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's absolutely no trouble.
0: So, is that the ticket to being able to.
1: Is that the suburbs?
0: It's to get out of the inner city area where yeah. all the trouble is it's happening?
1: it is to get out of the inner city area.
0: And then will your son be safe? Most definitely. Outside of 285, sure. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, okay. most definitely. But if I was to send my son to an inner city school, I'm pretty sure that he would engage, as when he get older, engage in some type of criminal activity.
0: Because he's a teenager boy. They do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but we have 12 year old 12 year old 12 year olds here that's walking around with AK-47s.
0: That is not a good combination. Um
1: uh, uh, semi uh, semi, semi-auto, semi semi-automatic assault rifles.
0: So what are we what are we <laughs> You get I, what I, I'm saying? We, it, it, I get what you're saying. And and the the disparities that we have in our own inner cities of of you know, different people raising the same age children. I feel like
1: I, I feel like the city's yeah. at fault. You know why? Hmm. We spend a billion dollars, two billion dollars on a stadium, mm. on two stadiums. We got a new stadium for the Braves. We got a new stadium for the Falcons. I think the total is almost five billion total. But you won't fix your broken school system. Yeah. Or provide um, certain programs for the inner city. Well, Arthur Blank is doing it now. The owner for the, the owner for the Atlanta, I mean Falcons. Mm-hmm. One part of the inner city called the Bluff, Ashby Street in Atlanta. He's actually rebuilding the homes over there and uh, starting programs hmm. for 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 inner city families and kids. So blood. this is
0: people this from is... the private sector are coming in to solve the problems.
1: People from people from the private sector. That is one of the worst areas in Atlanta. Worst ever. And he's trying to clean it up. But the city so that... I mean I, I just don't understand it. Like you had a you have a high mur- murder rate in the inner city. You short on police officers. And then you're going to build $5 billion stadiums. But the Atlanta public school system is discredited and lost mm-hmm. their accreditation.
0: Hmm. It says something about priorities, doesn't it?
1: Priorities are screwed.
0: Sports, yes. Education, no.
1: And you building the stadium dead center in the middle of the hood. This stadium is in the middle of the hood, Jenny. Mm.
0: So what a, is that a, saying? A
1: three billion dollar about... stadium, but you can't fix our school system.
0: So what is it? What are they telling you with that kind of investment?
1: Uh, uh, I think just go for all races in the mind. black, white, uh, the large Muslim population that we have, that mm. they don't care about us.
0: Mm.
1: And truly. Um, it's kind of like a white man, a white man's world. Yeah, because um, it just seemed more easier for 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 a Caucasian male versus. I mean, doesn't it's, it? The there. I mean, it's it's there. It's no, you can't turn a blind eye to it. It's easier for a white male to have a career versus a versus a. Um
0: anybody else anybody else (laughs) yeah
1: the pedestal is high
0: yeah I agree I mean I hate
1: to I mean to your listeners I hate to say that but it's real
0: it is real and it's sort of you know I've been I've been trying to have this conversation with my listeners a little bit more intentionally over the last I don't know just as often as I can, because there's just so much to talk about here. And I was having a conversation with um, a woman from Texas the other day who works in uh, the birth community in the, um, with African-American clients. And what we were talking about is the fact that African-American women are four to five times more likely to die from pregnancy-related conditions than white women. And it has a lot to do with, you know, inter- interge- intergenerational stressors and um, institutional racism and just the way that the, way that the maternal health care experience for African-American women is very different than it is for white women.
1: It's very different. They, they, they care. They, they, they care about. Um, I guess it goes to say that Caucasian women have more access. Mm-hmm. To a point they where do. they're not stressed, and they know that they can get the help that they need.
0: Mm-hmm, generally,
1: but it's like for this goes to Trump. Trump is trying to take away all these programs. But guess who these programs are for? Majority. They are for African Americans. Right. right. I mean, I'm not saying that we should live off the government, but sometimes Af- we come out the womb poor. Yeah. Versus a white male or a ca- Caucasian um, woman, they might have a, a silver spoon in their mouth. It's
0: possible.
1: It's possible.
0: And if they, if they
1: don't, they still mm-hmm. has the most programs available to them mm-hmm. to push mm-hmm. them along, to get them mm-hmm. where they need to be.
0: Yeah. And I think that some of the issues that we deal with in the healthcare setting are very similar to what mm-hmm. <clears throat> the issues that, um, you know, the humanitarian community deals with in developing countries where we think we know what's best and so in the past we've gone in and said this is how you need to receive your care because we know best about what you need and want and what we are understanding is that that's bullshit we don't know our clients our patients know what they need and so we're just you know it's important that we keep, that we have these conversations so that people get that. Our perspective is not the right one simply because we're the healthcare provider, or we are the white parent, or we are the expert. No.
1: See, another thing is, you know, I, I love working for care. I love work, mm-hmm. I, I love all nonprofits. But another issue is, uh, we happen. I, I'm not discrediting any humanitarian organization, mm-hmm. Russian believe, but <clears throat> when you look at it, we go in and help all these countries, right? Mm-hmm. We spend billions in these in these countries and we meddle in these countries. Mm-hmm. But we can't even help ourselves.
0: We have a long way to go, don't we? We can't
1: even help our own citizens.
0: Yeah. The truth is that we could. We it, can.
1: The truth is that, that, that we could, but <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have the money for it because we send so much money to these other
0: countries. we billions trillions of dollars in debt from helping other countries. But we're not. That's not the truth. You I know? mean, it's less less than 1% of the federal government goes to foreign assistance. So it's not that. It's other things that other things, is yes. bankrupting our country. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh, Marquis um, Go ahead. We We have, we've been talking for quite some time, and I want to make sure that before we wrap up our conversation, that we cover the, we cover what you feel is, Most important from your perspective for listeners to hear. Right. What do you want to make sure that our listeners know about you as a father and as, you know, an African American man who's been where you've been and are going where you're going?
1: I want to say this. This is. All this is um, this is excluding um, African Americans. I just want the next time, um, the next time, your listeners, if they're Caucasian or if they're uh, of another ethnicity, I just want them to sit back and look at their surround surroundings. And when when it comes to an African American figure out like why is it that i have it so easy but they are struggling on a daily basis like what is the struggle how do they in in in, incur this struggle like why do they struggle like this or or why they don't have the programs the correct programs like they have Mm
0: -hmm.
1: why they can't get the same the same assistance I mean I just want people to understand I mean sometimes it it may take for them to walk in our shoes like leave their homes and go and stay with that displaced family stay there for Mm -hmm. a month
0: Mm mm-hmm
1: really see what goes on because no no one knows right I know what yeah. goes on in a in a separated household a dysfunctional household a household that I've been in <clears throat> and the friend was giving his mother drugs because he didn't want his mother to go out to go out the front door and get it yeah. I just wish the world would see because you know what when whenever we start a riot, whenever we have these riots and issues, um when it comes to us getting gun down, you see all races come to our defense. But when shit gets when shit hits the fan, or get real, everyone flees. No one wants to be part of the real struggle. Hmm. So you were just with us rioting, but you don't want to see what we go through on a daily basis. Right. You go back to your perfect homes. You go back to your S five fifties and your and your china and your china plates and your six thousand dollar sectionals and Edgewood. That's a that's a section in Atlanta where hmm. gentrification is happening these these real estate investors are buying blacks out of their homes for less than what the property is worth and then yeah. go back and sell that property for
0: $500,000 it's happening here too
1: i mean i, I just don't understand it yeah And it's partly our fault because we don't have the financial sense. I mean, you can't blame it on everybody. But still, that was once an all-black neighborhood. Now, it's basically all white. It's like the great white flight. Yeah. They flew out, now they're coming back in. Because they see the artistic and blacks that they want to immerse they self in our culture. <coughs> That's why some of them flee the suburbs to move back because they love blacks and what we have to offer. They love our history, our rich culture because some cultures don't have a culture and they leech off our culture.
0: Mm-hmm. It has a lot to offer.
1: <laughs> it has a lot to offer.
0: It has a lot to offer. It's a very attractive culture.
1: Very very. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: that's that's why other cultures like, they, they, they want to know about our tradition and how we struggle, how we struggle mm-hmm. to survive.
0: And how you celebrate.
1: And how we celebrate.
0: And how you bond and how and, you exactly. come together as family and as, you know, as citizens, as, as families, as sons and daughters.
1: Exactly. We have a very rich tradition. And I wish yeah. that... Um, The higher-ups, a.k.a. the white man's world, would take an opportunity to come down from their pedestal and see, hey, man, this culture really has ambition and they have the skills to do what we do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But would that ever happen? remains to be seen because uh, history keeps repeating itself. Over and over again, but over in different ways,
0: I know probably a year ago at this time, you would have thought I mean, I know that I did. I thought that we were on a really different arc for progress than yeah. we appear to be right now,
1: because I, instead of the fire hose instead of the lynching and the dogs, yeah, now we have bullets, yeah, so any little move they try to gun us down,
0: yeah. I I was kind of referencing to the fact that, you know, a year ago when Obama was our president, it felt like, at least from my perspective, that there were little bits of progress being made. And <clears throat> it seemed like in many different arenas, not simply in race, but in many different arenas, we were seeing... Incremental increases in human rights and equality measures. Certainly, we haven't achieved any goals. We haven't hit the, you know, the horizons that we've been trying to go. But maybe we were taking some steps in the right direction. And honestly, it doesn't feel like that anymore.
1: Well, Jenny, uh, we were were taking steps in the right direction. But here's the kicker. Yeah. Here's the truth to it. There's a black man in office. Right. You know Mm -hmm. I'm about to go with this. Keep going. You think they wanted to see him succeed?
0: No, I don't.
1: So <laughs> that's why we never took the steps.
0: Yeah. So what do we? You know, we're. I feel time, like we. Every we, time, we... every time he brought up something,
1: it got rejected. Yeah. Every time he brought up something, something that 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 that, that was done with some type of humi- humility. Of being mm-hmm. uh, empathetic towards the uh, the underworld, who he, who he's staring, which mm-hmm. is us. We're the underworld. He's the president. Right. Every time he threw something out, it got rejected. Every single yeah. time.
0: Yeah.
1: But I guarantee you, now Trump is in office. He's passing all this stuff, and it's going right through. So, this is what I'm talking about, man. It's like, it's just so unreal that um, even as a black man in office, it was hard. So, yeah. why why would you think it'd be easier for us on, in the underworld? Yeah. He can't even pass a damn bill because he it keeps getting rejected. And it's trying to help not just blacks, help whites too.
0: Everybody. Everybody. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it still won't pass.
0: <clears throat> well, I feel like you and I could probably talk quite a lot about politics, and I kind of want to swing our conversation back to a parenting perspective. Okay. And specifically, you know, your this podcast is going to go live on Father's Day weekend, and <clears throat> you're getting the opportunity to kind of, you know, give your Father's Day message to listeners about what you want them to know about the way you raise your children mm-hmm. and what you think about in your future. Go for it.
1: I just want to say that as a father and as a, a, a father at co-parents to all that, to all the absentee fathers, please make sure that you immerse yourself into your daughter's life. Or in your son's life or in your family's life, because that's the most precious thing, and and you're gonna get rewarded for it. Because if you treat life generously, it will treat you royally uh, royally. If you can't treat your family right and your kids right, you, you can't treat yourself right and you would never have anything. If you don't if you don't teach your kids if you're not there to steer your kids, uh, you're in a rude, rude awakening because uh, anything could happen. I mean, you might see your kid your, your your child on the news for uh, some type of crime, or maybe um, just some just something dealing with criminal activity, and you don't want to see that. So it's very imperative that you are. You you are there present in your child's life. You should cherish every moment. Whatever um, whatever whatever your kid's engaged in, be there for them. Whether it's soccer, whether they playing the flute, just walking in the park, taking them to the park two days out of the week, that's the least you can do to, to show your child that you care. Yeah, that if, you
0: are there. That your child is theirs.
1: Your, your child is there. There's no reason for you to be an absentee father. There's no reason. If you don't have the money to provide for your child, great. But money is not is not, is not always the answer. It's the presence that, that that matters. Because that young lady or that young man is gonna grow up and say, Dang, man, my, my dad was always there. He may not ha- he may not have all the money. Uh, he he may not uh, give me anything, or He never had any money, but his presence was always there, his presence. I just just enjoy his presence, his hugs, his kisses, his stories, Mm -hmm. his background, how he grew up. It was there, and that allowed me to be the person who I am today. That allowed me to get through some of my uh, issues, my issues, my mental issues. He helped me tie my boots up.
0: That's what a father does.
1: That's what a father does. If, if, okay. if, 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 if your child, if, 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 if you only had 25 cents in your pocket, you would give your daughter, your son, that 20, that quarter. Yeah. Your last, your last piece of bread. Yep. That's what it's all
0: about. That is. And your children will remember that. Yeah. Oh, I've got just two more questions that I like to ask everybody. And the first one is this, how would you fill in this statement? Nobody ever told me that.
1: Nobody ever told me that I would graduate with a bachelor's degree. No one ever told me that I would be the man that I am today. That's uh, That shows humility, that's empathetic. That's um that's positive. I've grown to have positive vibes. No one ever told me that. The only thing I was told was, <clears throat> man, you ain't gonna do nothing. You're not gonna have anything. You're gonna be a thug. You're gonna be dead or in jail.
0: And here you are working for one of the most
1: prominent humanitarian organizations <laughs> in the US.
0: That's Marquis. That's my <laughs> life. So then this is my last question for you. Where are you in your life as a father?
1: Where am I in my life as a father? Um, as a father, I'm at peace with how the way I'm handling uh, my responsibilities. That's mm-hmm. where I'm at. I'm at peace.
0: I think that's a really good answer. I may good be, for you.
1: Because I'm always going to take care of my daughter. I'm not going to be that absentee father. And when when um, when my son comes along, I'm gonna make sure I hold down my household and keep my household together. And being a stepdad, I will make sure that I instill common sense and respecting her as well as I treat my as I treat my daughter.
0: Yeah, these now are the children in your life.
1: Yes. That's the most you you can't do nothing else. That's all you can do. Now, whatever they take in the world when they get older, is what they take. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Whatever trouble they get in, all you can do is talk to them and try to prevent it from happening again, because Mm -hmm. you instilled in them the common sense and the courtesy, the respect, the moral values, the humility. You instill that in them. It's up to them to use the tools that they were given.
0: Every kid, every time.
1: Every kid, every time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Marquis, this has been a really, really great conversation, and I have really enjoyed it. We'll talk again. Okay. Sounds good. Have a happy Father's Day.
1: Oh, I will. Even though I, I don't want, I don't want anything. My fiance asked said, Man, who do you want? I, don't, I don't want it. I just want you guys.
0: cut her some slack and tell her something specific
1: (laughs) You know what? i really really celebrate my birthday no no i don't i I can't remember the last time i celebrated my birthday i'm just happy um the statistics is you'll make it uh uh that the the average black american they won't make it to 21 or 25 or 30 it's it's those three ages you'll never Mm -hmm. make it
0: you're 32
1: I'm 32 I'll be 33 in August. I'm just happy that <clears throat> I shut the, the, the naysayers out.
0: And here you are.
1: And here I am. I'm still living and breathing and living a positive lifestyle. And that's that's all I don't I mean uh my birthday is every day.
0: Hmm.
1: Why should I celebrate just one day at the year? Why can't you celebrate mothers day every day? Your birthday every day? Christmas every day? Mm-hmm. Because you, you you got you have two eyes you have two arms and two legs, and and you're still breathing.
0: Well, I'm still gonna hope that you get a stack of pancakes <laughs> in bed, and I don't know. I think she's gonna give you a present anyways.
1: Well, that she, do, she, she
0: does, it'll be okay.
1: It'll be okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that I made it 32, Miss um, uh, Jenny. All right, and I'm, I, and I'm going to make it the third, three, thirty-four, and thirty-five, and
0: forty. Start, start aiming for the nineties too. Exactly. <laughs> start aiming for the big numbers. <laughs> yeah. All right, Marquis, we're going to talk again soon.
1: Okay, we're going to talk again soon.
0: Our guest today was Marquis Robinson. Marquis works for Care. USA, and you can learn more about CARE, the humanitarian organization in Atlanta, at CARE.org. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com Email me, jean at jean Faulkner. You can tweet me at jean Faulkner. And please, would you guys go on over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave me just a great review. It helps bring this podcast to the top of the conversation and gets the word out about what we're talking about also please oh please go pick up a copy of my book common sense pregnancy it's everywhere books are sold common sense pregnancy and parenting is produced by alex ward at sounds like pictures studios thanks so much for listening and happy father's day be sure you check out next week's episode for part two of my conversation with nikia lawson about race healthcare, and pregnancy Bye-bye, everybody.